Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, are there any traditions that people have? I'd like to hear if there was a group. No? Anybody? Besides a good Guinness? How many of you have actually had a Guinness in Dublin? Yeah? Just three of us? It is a different ball game. Like, it's like drinking a glass of milk, which I don't know if that sounds good to you, uh, but it is, it's a completely different thing. Okay. Uh, so good. We're on a good start. Talking about prayer and talking about drinking beer. We're, go- we're on a good start. Uh, my name's Scott Erickson, and I'm part of this community, and uh, I, we're on this series about talking about prayer, which uh, I like to say talking about prayer is like talking about your ab routine. Nobody thinks they're killing it. And, uh, but we decided as a community that, like, what, that actually if this is an important aspect of our life with God, uh, why, should we, why do we feel so uncomfortable with it? And so we were taking a few weeks to, to kind of discuss maybe the reasons for that. And, and I would like to talk about some, uh, about developing practices uh, in our life that work for us. Um, and we'll confront why they stop working or different things like that. I actually do want to talk about St. Patrick's Day, since it's today's St. Patrick's Day. Because um, oh, I don't know if you know, do you know why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day at all? Besides loving Irish people? Because of the snakes? Yeah, because we hate snakes. It's, a, a, it's totally a holiday Started by Indiana Jones. Um, so if so, St. Patrick, uh, before he was a saint, was a young man in, uh, in England at the time, Britain, uh, and he was captured by pirates. Pirates, not in the Caribbean, in the British Isles. He was captured by pilot, pirates, taken to Ireland, and sold as a slave to this, farm, this farmer. And uh, while he was there, he was there six years as uh, owned by uh, this farmer in their homestead. And he was put in charge of taking care of the livestock. And while he spent all this time out in the countryside, he had these really profound experiences. One is he began to hear the voice of God in his life and, ex- and ex- started experiencing the presence of God. And then while he was there, uh, he also found that he started having compassion for his captors. And uh, started to love them and love the Celtic people. Uh, about six years into it, one night he had a dream, and uh, or and he heard the voice of God saying, "Get up and make your way to the shore. There is a ship, and you're going to sail home." And so he got up in the middle of the night and he snuck out uh, and he made his way to the ocean and he and he bartered with uh, a captain and he made his way onto a ship and got back to Britain. He later on, uh, so, so he was in his like late teens at this time. He uh, ended up studying to be a priest, and he spent many, many years as a priest in England. And then when he was 47, 48, he had a dream one night where this angel, uh, I forget the name, but it was like Marvin or something. <laughs> it's a really funny name, uh, was reading letters from people in Ireland and he read one of the letters, and it was from the people he knew in Ireland. And they said, come back to us, slave boy. Come back to us and, 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 and teach us your ways. 
And so uh, Patrick went to, he was a bishop at the time, he went to the Catholic Church and said, I would like to go to Ireland, and I would like to bring uh, the message of Jesus to Ireland. You need to understand, like, Ireland at this time was a bunch of uh, barbarians. Uh, it was the least, it was pretty much on the fringe of the kind of Roman Empire. Uh, and so it was like the least kind of churched place in the Roman Empire at that time. Uh, Patrick went with a group of people. He went with a bunch of, like, artisans and other priests and uh, people. I think there was a, a, probably about 60 of them. And they started to do uh, what we would call evangelism in Ireland. Uh, but within 28 years of being there, Ireland went from being the least church part of the Roman uh, Empire to the most church part in 28 years. And there's a really great book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism, if you'd like to learn about this. But what they did, why it was so effective, is because they weren't a bunch of jerks who were like, <laughs> come and believe what we believe or we'll kill you with the sword. They started from the premise that God is actually already speaking in your life. God is actually already here. We want to show you that that's here. So the ways that they would do that was through hospitality and eating meals. The way they taught people how to pray was uh, through, like, imaginative prayer. Um, uh, he, he's famous for the shamrock. It's okay. Crutch is happening. Uh, it's famous for the shamrock because what Patrick would did is say, like, hey, there's this triune God. We can see it in nature in like the shamrock, look, you're, this, the symbol of your society is already speaking to God that God is here. And so I think, uh, so that's why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day is this kind of way that influenced, because then Ireland became this like massive uh, culture-making uh, group of people that created all this beautiful Celtic art and then went out from there and affected the rest of the world. So in the same way, I'd like to talk about prayer from that standpoint is that actually God is already speaking in your lives. We don't need to practice voodoo, which is like, hey, I gotta get God's attention. But how do we awaken to the fact that God is speaking and involved in our lives already, and how do we see that? And I'd like to start talking about that uh, through talking about music. Um, I do a bunch of speaking, and, and I'll just, I don't ever apologize before speaking, <laughs> but I will say this, I, I'm unclear what I've shared to this community story-wise. I know there's one thing I've talked about before, but if I've already done this in front of you all, I can't remember, so I'm sorry. But um, just, like, I have baby brain. I just don't remember anything anymore. Uh, when Holly and I lived in Houston, Texas, I worked at a church down there, uh, my friend Matt, uh, he was involved with, he got to know with, like, NASA and the astronauts. He got to know, the, like, the astronaut community. And one day he called me and he said, hey, uh, I'm taking this uh, astronaut named Mike Massimo uh, to the Switchfoot concert, Switchfoot's this band, um, because he had taken one of their albums up into space, and he has it, and he's going to give it to them backstage. Do you want to come with and be a part of that? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. So I went to, uh, with Matt and Mike uh, and Mike's wife, and we met Switchfoot. We went backstage and got to meet them all, and Mike got to show them the album that he had taken up into space, on uh, one of the space shuttle flights and give it to them. And it was really cool. The band's super nice. They're, they're a pretty big deal if you, if you know their music. Um, and then Mike said something that I thought was really profound. He said, you know, actually music is really important to astronauts because astronauts are the very few people who ever get to leave the Earth's atmosphere and they're witness to sights that no human being has ever seen, being able to see the curvature of the planet and the stars, seeing the Earth from an outside perspective. 
and it has this very transformative effect. It's called the overview effect. That's a different talk. But they see such amazing sights that when they come home, uh, it's often hard to remember the sensation of that. So astronauts actually use music to kind of anchor that memory uh, so that when they come back to Earth, they can play that song, those songs or that music again to, to be able to connect with that experience of seeing something. And I thought that was a fascinating insight that uh, they would use music to kind of give us this like emotional anchor to uh, our experiences. And, and I think when we start talking about uh, uh, God and prayer, like I think this is really helpful because uh, like throughout our lives, if you had to make a soundtrack of your life, and you would, and like all the key moments, if you're really into music, maybe you would have songs that would uh, relate to that. In the movie High Fidelity, which is a great film, he, uh, John Cusick is this character, you'll love this, Jonathan, who has this like giant record collection, and he's always like putting it in different orders, like chronologically, but it, like I think midway through, he does this whole thing where he does it biographically, and he's like, this album means this, in high school, this album means this to this girlfriend, and it's a really fascinating idea, right? We all have these songs, like when they come on the radio, they, we hear things, we're like, oh yeah, that makes me get in touch with that experience I had, and I think... Uh, if what would be helpful for us as we start to talk about prayer is to think of like the most saddest, heartbreaking song. Uh, and I think the saddest, most heartbreaking song in the world is Bonnie Raitt's I Can't Make You Love Me If You Don't, right? <laughs> it is, if you know this song, it's the saddest song. Uh, it wasn't written by her, but she, her voice added with these lyrics just kills it. If you don't, it starts off just like really mellow, and she has a line towards the end of this first verse where she says, Lay down with me and tell me no lies and just hold me close and don't patronize. And then it goes into the chorus, which is, and I can't make you love me if you don't. And you can't make your heart feel something it won't. You know, you listen to this crying in your car by yourself. Here in the dark. In these final hours, me, it was in junior high with my crush, Lynn Marth, just crying in my room. She never returned that love. <laughs> I will lay down my heart, because I feel the power, but you don't, and no, you won't. Right, this is a sad song. <laughs> right, thank you, you're welcome. It's a sad song. It's really sad. And if you have any kind of emotional connection to that sad song, maybe like a rejected skate night, you know, like where you try to, the skating deck, and you try to get to skate with somebody, they said no, or however it is. And I think we need to hold on to this emotion when we start talking about prayer. Because I think often when we think about praying and talking to God, we, you know, and, and, and I'm really thankful for the history of art that has tried to express the spiritual journey, but I think often we, we kind of relate to this picture, right? That there's this deity, this like kind of ornery, bearded man, <laughs> uh, and we're here naked, maybe a little too naked, uh, <laughs> trying to grasp and trying to connect with that God, and it, we just can't get there. And if we were actually to look at the the narrative of scripture, it's not this really. Like the narrative of the holy scriptures about human beings acting with God, I mean, it just even starts at the beginning with this wonderful poem about who we are and, and where we came from. And then there's this like, this break, this schism, this fracture, and this brokenness in this relationship 
And then God is walking around going, hey, where are you? Like, why, why are you hiding from me? Why did, when did you start hiding from me? That's right, Jones, amen. And then later on, there's this people that God has taken out of slavery, taken out of slavery and is giving them a new identity. And he invites them up to this mountain to talk with them. And, you know, in God's fashion, there's a lot of lightning bolts and thunder. It's pretty freaky. And they're like, just you, Moses, you go up and just do it for us. We'll just stay down here. And Moses is up there for a really long time, so long that they're like, he's dead. And, and they're like, we're stuck here in the desert. We got to make another God to take us farther on the journey. And Moses gets tapped by God and says, hey, uh, we need to stop our conversation. You need to go down there. They've already replaced me with something else. And then we get into uh, the story of Jesus. And Jesus tells the story about who God is. And he says, you know who God is like? God is like this father who has these kids. And uh, one of them says, I want my inheritance. I want what's due to me. And uh, he goes away and he spends it all. And then he comes back and he comes back and he goes, you know, I don't even deserve to be your son anymore. I just deserve to be a slave. And the dad's like, what are you talking about? We're having a party. You're home. And then Jesus tells the story of, uh, of what God is like. He says, you know what God's like? It's like a, a shepherd who loses a sheep, and he's willing to leave the 99 who are in this pen to go out and find the one that's lost. And then uh, in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, Jesus is talking to his church, and he says this to the church. He says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were either or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Just think of like coffee, right? You know, it's like either it's good hot, good cold. In between, you're like, oh, no thanks. Uh, and you say I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And solve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and judge the heck out of you. No, that's not what he says. I will come in and eat with them and them with me. I think when we read this passage... We talk about Jesus knocking on our door. He's like, hey, I have your internet browser history with me, and I'd like to talk to you about some stuff. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, I want to come, and I want to make a meal with you. I brought dinner, and, it, and hopefully it's a sushi spread. I brought dinner, and I want to be with you. I want to eat with you. We... We tend to believe that we need to be something else in order to interact with God. Holly and I, uh, when I worked at this church in Houston, we were the new kids on the block, not the band, but still as cool. And uh, we started going around to some small groups to try to find a community, uh, like some people to hang out with. And it was fun to see like the different groups that were going on in the church. There's this one group that we liked a lot, um, but they did this weird thing where they would, it, not weird, but uh, we would all have this meal. They would do like this potluck meal at this table. And so we sit around this table and have really engaging conversation. 
talk like normal people. And then at some point, because it was a Bible study, some of you be like, hey, we're going to move into the living room, be more comfortable, and we're going to get to the Bible study. And something happened from the kitchen to the living room where people put on imaginary, we're going to talk about the Bible hats, and all of a sudden the conversation became different. People started talking different when we started having to talk about religion and the Bible and our spirituality. What happened between here and here? We, had, we thought that we needed to become somebody different in order to engage with this aspect of our lives. Um, I'm not going to, I don't want to talk bad, but Holly and I know a man who's a delightful man, but <laughs> he's uh, older than us, but whenever he gets asked to pray, if we were at his house and we asked him to pray for the meal, and he's like a contractor, you know, he's like, he knows how to do stuff in the world. He all of a sudden, like his voice turns into this like quiet, lispy child voice, and he'll be like, oh, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this day. You know, and it becomes like, who is this guy? Who, when did he change? So when we had to start talking to God, we needed to become something different, right? Look, there's a doorway in each one of us to hear the voice of God in our lives, and that doorway is honesty. And that sounds easy enough, but to really be honest is a very difficult thing to do. And I think when we talk about prayer, we start to confront these images about what we think praying is. If you were to do a simple, simple Google search about praying, just type in prayer and do Google image search, these are the pictures that come up. And if we look at this, I realize a couple things. One, I'm praying at the wrong time of day. Apparently, <laughs> I need morning prayers. Are not good. I need to be praying at sunset. Uh, in my house is not good. I need to be outside. Um, apparently, I have the wrong Bible. I have a couple Bibles that I got from like junior high and high school. I still have them, but apparently, I need to get the Bible with the actual built-in Shekinah glory in it, you know, so I can have this experience, folded hand, clasped hands. And see, what we confront, what we get mixed up with is that we think, uh, what we think is, we get mixed up is that we, th we think about the mechanics of prayer versus the essence of prayer. And we, and we often fumble in the mechanics and we go like, I can't do that. I don't know how to do this. And that was just a mechanic to help us get to a thing. And I'd like to talk about, for the rest of this time, just like, well, let's find out some mechanics that work for us. Because you can't get prayer wrong. You can't get it wrong. Because all we're talking about is mechanics. What you can get wrong is never engaging in it. Because that the essence of prayer is talking with the giver of your existence. And so Jesus, when he's with his disciples, they actually come to him. They're in a highly religious system. And they go, hey, can you teach us how to pray? We actually don't know how to do this. And he says this. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on the street corners and be seen by men. And I tell you the truth. They have received, to received their reward in full. Look, there is a reward for knowing how to be religious and spiritual in front of people. And we've seen that in our culture. We've lifted up these certain kinds of people, and like they're very spiritual, they're very religious, right? And we've honored them with that. You can get a reward for knowing how to outwardly represent uh, your spiritual practices. But Jesus says something different. He says, hey, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, secret will reward you. There's also a reward 
that Jesus is inviting us into saying, hey, there's a secret conversation that I'd like for you to have. And why would he invite us into that? Because when nobody else is around, you stop lying to yourself. (laughs) You stop being the other person that you think you need to be to talk with God, and you eventually get to the honest conversation. And to be like, hey, this is how I feel, right? I don't have a closet to get into, but I feel like often the shower is the place that I get the most honest. I don't know, maybe hot water and uh, a, a curtain is a conduit to the divine. But that, like Holly will be often be like, how long are you going to be? And I'm like, sorry, I was praying. And I'll be in the shower for like 15, 20 minutes. It's great. I just need to invest in a hot tub instead of going to Kurt's house all the time. Um, that's the place that I start to have an honest conversation with God. I have an honest conversation with God. Um, so there's a couple things I'd like to just discuss. Oh, yeah, and then where do we start this? So if we wanted to have an honest conversation with God, where do we even start? I would suggest start with your fears and your hopes. Like, what's freaking you out right now? Your job insecurity, your relationship insecurity, just, like, things are switching over, you're not sure what's next. Like, what brings you the most fear and anxiety? Start talking those things out. And then what do you hope for? It's, a very, it's very hard to ask God, here's things I'd like in my life. Because, like, because then I would, have to, I would start creating an artifact that I feel like could be used as evidence against me that God doesn't care about my life. So just be like, oh, God's got it. I don't really want to ask for anything. But I had a spiritual director ask me, he said, what are you asking God for? And I was like, nothing. I'm not asking God for anything. Why is that? Maybe because I just don't need a new leather jacket or something like that. But, like, is that what we're talking about, materialism? Are we talking about, like, do I actually think that God is involved in the life that I'm living? Does God want to be involved? Am I involving God? What is that? I think there's a couple reasons. Actually, I actually have three reasons, but we're going to discuss two. Why, why, we, why I think we stop praying. And the first one is I just don't know what to say. I just don't know what to pray. And I would like to tell you a story. Um, so when, I, when we were in Houston, uh, we met this couple, Eric and Sarah. Sarah, when you work at a church, is like the kind of person you hope is at your church. She's smart, funny. She's a kindergarten teacher. She led a small group. She uh, took care of a refugee family. She was great. And then um, she found out, she found a lump in her arm, got some tests, found out that she had stage four cancer. And they were engaged to be married four years ahead, uh, four, sorry, four months away. And they said, she, they were like, you need to start chemotherapy immediately. And uh, so they, we did this like shotgun wedding on that weekend. And Eric was like, I want to marry you. So if you make it, great, we'll be married. But if you don't, um, then I want to take care of you for as long as you have. And so uh, they got uh, married and she started chemotherapy. And, you know, I don't know if you know anybody who's gone through chemotherapy, but it's awful. And uh, it, it's just poison going into your system. And it didn't go well for Sarah. Like, it was, a, it was very painful for her. We would, we'd get together and we'd pray for her, and she'd feel worse afterwards. And, um, and after four months, uh, she, just, she never got better, and, and she died. Our, our friend Sarah died. Um, and it, like, it like devastated us. Um, as a community, because you know when like jerks die, you're like that makes sense. But when like the best of you dies, you're like I don't understand what we're doing anymore. Um, we had a bunch of people who worked for United Airlines at our church, and so Chris, the head pastor, and I had been talking about going on a trip to Jerusalem to do a bunch of videotaping and a project and stuff. And so 
after her funeral that night, he called me and he said, hey, I checked all the flights. All the flights are open to Jerusalem or to Tel Aviv this weekend. I think we should go and I think we should bring Eric with us because I can't imagine taking care of your dying wife for four months and then just going back to work the next week. And so uh, we did. We went to Jerusalem. It took us longer to get there than we were actually there. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I meet people who've gone on like Holy Land trips and stuff and they're like, did you go here and there? And we're like, no. We basically did a project and then ate uh, donor kebabs and then just like walked around Jerusalem. And one night we were walking around and we came across the Wailing Wall like you do. And if, you, if you're familiar, the Wailing Wall is the remnant of the temple of, of uh, Israel, the temple in Jerusalem that the, the, the actual presence of God was said to be in. And so people would come and do their offerings and talk to God, all their priestly acts. And, it, and uh, this remnant is just this wall, and as high as a human being can reach, people write their prayers in pieces of paper and shove it in all the cracks and stuff. So it's literally the prayers of the world are in this wall. And I thought, if there was any kind of place to talk to God about how I feel, my anguish, why our friend died, why this injustice, this would be the place. So I walked They have these like baskets of loner yarmulkes and I took one and put it on the head and I walked up to this wall and there's like hundreds of people at this wall and I put my hand on the wall and what I wanted to say was all the things I needed to say to God but what I found is that I I had no words. My mouth dried up, like I just, my mind went blank and I just sat there in silence with silence just going, I don't know what we're supposed to do here. And it was this really disappointing moment. And then this, like, Jewish man walked up next to me. I don't know who this guy is, but he had, like, the hat and the curls and the tassels and, the, you know, the whole thing. And uh, I don't know his story. He could come a couple times a day and pray. There's a lot of people doing stuff like that. But he just started to sing a song. And I didn't know human beings could sing like that. He just sang this, like, guttural lament. And it was so haunting, and he was, like, moving back and forth and just singing the song. He's just, like, right here next to me. And after a couple minutes of listening to him, I, I just, I said, God, I don't know what he's saying. I just know that he's singing my song. So could I let him pray for the both of us? Because I know that he's singing my song. Maybe you've had this experience where driving in the car, if you even still listen to radio, you turn on the radio and a song comes on, you're like, and you turn it up and you're like, oh, ho, ho, this is my song. What are, you, like, what are we saying there? What are we saying there? That lyrically and sonically, some artist, musician figured out a way to describe what it feels like in my own skin or what I'd hoped to feel like in my own skin. And this is what's great about art and music and film and stuff is when you know, they use these tools to put it together, and you're like, that's, that's my song. That's my song. Look, what prayer is, is figuring out a way to make some kind of vehicle to approach the, the divine in. And we're free to use whatever we need to use to help us get there. There's no genre of music that's untouchable. There's no genre of film or poetry or words. If it's connecting you to God, into the conversation that you need to have with God, it's working. It's working, right? Because words and images are not prayer. They are excavation tools. What prayer is, here's a helpful diagram. What prayer is, you can see here, imagine a can of tuna fish or white salmon, whatever you, 
whatever bracket of economics you're in. Uh, inside, what prayer is, is the ever-present interior conversation with the divine that you're having? And that gets locked away in the hard casing of fear and ego and noise of life, the busyness of life. And so often it's very hard to access that truest thing. But what words and images are, or songs, poetry, all of these things, that's the excavation tool to help us get there. You don't need to read four paragraphs of prayers unless it's doing the work of helping you get to that truest conversation, that true conversation, because that's when we begin to hear the voice of love in our lives, and that's when we're open and being honest with God. Um, My friend Justin and I, and I feel awkward about you know, showing my own book, because it kind of feels like I'm a some kind of, I don't know, can I say douchebag at church? I don't know. It feels like I'm that. <laughs> but we found out that a lot of people that we know who are come from a religious tradition or no tradition at all were starting to ask us, like, hey, how should I pray? And we wanted to make something that started with the premise that we don't need to get God's attention. God's already speaking in our lives. And we started with this premise, like, I believe that I pray because I'm human, not because I'm religious. That tradition can can and does provide language, shape, and space for that primal urge to pray. But the instinct to connect with God does not emanate from that tradition. Our structured prayers, our uh, songs that we sing, those are helpful tools to help us get to that. But they're not the reason we do it, because we signed up or checked what part of religion we are. That religion is the mechanics to help get to the essence. The essence is that in all of us is an urge to connect with the giver of our own existence. And so sometimes you have all the words. Sometimes you can sit with a journal and write everything out. And then sometimes you find yourselves in situations where you're like, I don't know what to say. And so it's helpful to look to the saints of yesteryear and to pick up a book of common prayer or something like this that just gives you simple prayers and images to work from. Or simply, what's your song right now? Listen to that. I have a playlist on Spotify that just says now. Because I just collect, when I hear a song that's like hits me deep and I'm like, hmm, that's inviting me into something. I put it on a playlist. I listen to this playlist just to get, help me get in touch with where I'm at and where God is, right? Use whatever you need to that helps you get there. And then I think... Lastly, uh, I think there's three reasons why we give up on praying uh, is I don't know the words, I can't be myself, which we kind of talked a little bit about, but it's all up to me. It's all up to me. I grew up in a, in a religious community that we would, uh, and I went to this like Christian school for a little bit, and we'd have this like prayer day, and they'd give us these like long list of things we had to pray, and we had to like pray in groups, and we had to pray for like France and Italy and Uzbekistan and you know we're like praying for all these countries and all the missionaries and all the leaders and all the and apparently like government services the department of agriculture like every we just had to pray for everything and it was unsettling because I was like is God not aware of this stuff like are we are we wizards uh like did Did Christians really hate Harry Potter when it first came out because, not because it was about sorcery, but because it was a competing wizard narrative, right? And like, that's not how it works. It works like this when we lift out our hands and we pray for Uzbekistan. You know, like, what is it all up to us? And I think as you live long enough, 
you start to get in touch with your own weaknesses and your, uh, just like your powerlessness in a lot of ways. And I think eventually we just go, I don't know, if God's not in charge of this or helping out with this, like what can I possibly do? This seems like a fruitless activity. And, G- and Jesus invites us into the mystery of this. He really does. And so when he's talking to his disciples and he says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. That's what voodoo is, you know what I'm saying? Like incantations. I got to say all these things to get this God to actually care about the world we live in. And he's saying, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Father knows what you need before you ask him. So why even pray? What are we, if, like, with, if, if I'm bringing this like shopping list of rent and hopes and dreams and fears, and God's like, <laughs> I know, I know. You know, that's boring. You know what? God gets boring when you're, when you're like, I'd like to tell you about my day. And he's like, I already know everything. Like, that's not interesting, right? A God that's like, I already know anything. Don't bug me with your stuff. So what is God inviting us into? What is Jesus inviting us into? I think, I think what we're being invited into is the sovereignty of God. And look, I don't know how to really define God's will. I don't know what's in or out. I just, from experience, I just know that the divine is really, 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 really detailed. And anytime I become aware of that intentionality, I'm filled with wonder. I think we're in a really interesting time because of of this and television that we are aware of all the atrocities that are happening in the world all at the same time. And there's something that's very hard for us is that we, uh, we actually care and we actually care and we're, and we're affected by the suffering of others. Uh, but, what we're, but because we're aware of this immense suffering, uh, we're never given a way to physically help in that situation. Like we, if, you're, if you've been paying attention, there was this horrible shooting on Friday in New Zealand where a man targeted... Muslims, um, during their prayer time. It was really interesting. I listened to this uh, Muslim news anchor in Australia, and he goes, "Uh, that's a Friday prayer. He's like, I do Friday prayer. So you know what's interesting about that time is everybody, right before they get started, everybody, they're at the most vulnerable because they're there to disarm themselves and pay attention to what God would like to say to them. And so that man caught them at their most disarmed time. Um, and we, we saw this tragedy, this travesty happen, and it didn't happen close to us, although we can talk, we'll talk a little bit later that it is always happening close to us, but how do we, how do we respond by just being angry on this? But that's not good enough for us, right? Like, there's got to be some kind of embodied way that we can respond to all these things, and I think I don't have the answers for all of that, but I I do think that one of the ways that we can uh, experience God's sovereignty is not through observation, but through participation. I think where we get uh, Richard Rohr, he says, like, spiritual truths can only be known through participation, not through observation. We We can read all the books we want and all the theologians and philosophers and go, is God sovereign in this world? 
and come up with a great argument, but until like, you actually feel it and know it and, and keep practicing that, um, it's really hard, and maybe it's always going to be difficult to, to make sense of this world and God's involvement in this world, but I think Jesus is inviting us into that unknownness. Your Father in heaven already knows everything you need. What does that mean? How would I even connect with that? So I know we've been, every Sunday, offering a prayer practice, and I would like to say, figure out in your life what works for you now in your prayer practice in this time. Maybe it's going to be silence. Maybe it's going to be reading through some prayers that you've gathered. Maybe this is, this is a tool. This is an excavation tool that can help you with that for a season. There's lots of things. You read through, script, uh, read through the Psalms, that kind of stuff. But I'd like to offer you a practice that I've been doing about participating in God's sovereignty. So if you feel comfortable enough, I'd like you to find your heartbeat. You can eat. This one's good. You know, I know, ladies, you have a little bit extra there, too. Uh, maybe so you need to do your neck or your wrist, some place that you can actually feel that organ in your chest. And as, it, as you feel it, beat after beat after beat after beat. Realize that there's a, a major aspect of you being alive that you're not in charge of. You're not in charge of. And you never asked for this heart. You were given it through the gift of your own existence. And this thing keeps you alive mostly while you're not paying attention to it. And let's use that as a doorway to access we could even move to our breath. Sure, I can control my breathing, but it also works in a way that I'm not in control of. In fact, one of the earliest names for God given to us by uh, the Hebrew people was to, was to say God's name was Yahweh, which is just the simple act of breathing in and breathing out. Our very essence of existing is the name of God. We can get further out of like how our planet is aligned and the solar system from the sun and, and life is existing on this planet because of things that we're not even in control of. So there's so much of our just being that is a gift, that is grace. And that is a way for us to access all of these other things that God's intentionality it's providence, it's love, it's grace in all things, that we can participate in all those things. And even if we are made aware, and we will be aware of others suffering, our own suffering, that we are not separated from the giver of existence, that we are not separated from that love and that being. And so may we rest in that and... and, and even when we can't figure it out, may we just simply touch our hearts and feel that beat and know that God is in the midst of all things. So I give that to you, and I'd like to say this, that the practice of prayer is participating in the friendship with God. And this, this phrase is a little triggering for me, because, you know, there's that song that's like, I am a friend of God. If you have a tambourine, it's better. I am a friend of God. And it's a fine song. I just, you know, I think the wording is it's just a little dorky, and I, I don't know if we really believe it. 
So maybe let's deconstruct it just a tad. Like, do you think that you're a friend or foe of God? What you could say is, like, are you a friend or foe of existence? Like, do you think your existence at the heart of it is something that you need to apologize for and get God to love you or like you? Or do you actually see that God is inviting you to participate as a co-creator in your life? That God is actually intimately involved already in your life and is already speaking, but maybe through the noise and busyness of life, we haven't been paying attention. And so the practice of prayer and making, and making a space for prayer in your life is to hear the voice of love speaking to you about your life, the gift of your life. It's not about asking God for things, although it should asking for things in this world should come out of that place of acknowledging and knowing that God is involved in our life. So those are some thoughts that I've had about prayer, and I offer that to you. We're going to close with the benediction. I don't know if you have to stand yet, because Kurt's going to just kind of speak to us about a few things, and then we'll do that. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Scott. You're welcome. Uh, Scott didn't want to or talk a lot about his book, but we do. Uh, we actually bought, as a church, we bought a number of copies of Scott's book uh, that are out in the lobby, and you can get them for 10 bucks, which is the cheapest you will find them anywhere. Uh, so buy them. It's a really helpful tool um, to kind of lead you through this question of prayer. Scott said, find a way of prayer that works for you. I'd also like to add and go discover some ways of prayer that don't work for you. If you go try something and it doesn't work, don't be sad. Get pumped. Yes, that doesn't work for me. I'm one step closer to finding something that does. Uh, There isn't failure in prayer practices. There's just more and more levels of discovery. I want to close this morning. uh, Scott mentioned the shooting in New Zealand um, and talking about how we experience a lot of these things through our screens. It was actually through a really helpful conversation a couple years ago with Tom McCoy sitting back there that uh, we had this conversation about when you watch sports or an action film and how your blood pressure actually rises, your heart rate climbs. And at the end of it, you're like, whew, I'm exhausted. I need to go eat some carbs. Uh, That you actually, it was you were triggered in your body as if you were participating in something you weren't. And so physically, you have a response of wanting salty foods or recharging from the energy you never expended. And suffering and tragedy has the same effect on us culturally. We watch this suffering that's happening in the world, and we get angry, we get sad, we get upset, but we don't find an outlet for it. And so I want to close in a time of prayer to say that the shooting in New Zealand and the attack on the mosque is like the shooting that happened in the United States in the African-American church. It's like the people that were run over by a car in Charlottesville that is all tied to the same belief that is so the antithesis of Christianity and who God is, is that some people are created better than others. And so for us to unravel this doesn't require a trip to New Zealand. It doesn't require us to even specifically partner alongside our our Muslim brothers and sisters, although I would encourage you to do that. It requires us to participate in any place and space where people are treated insignificantly and to partner with them, not on their behalf, (laughs) where we push them aside because they serve as a tool for us, but we partner with them to see them treated with the same dignity that God has created us all for. So may, and this is where I would actually like you to stand. 
May we as a community be sent to go partner with people treated insignificantly. That this would be an action of our prayer to love and to see the world brought to a peaceful thriving of all people for which we were created for. And may we shake it out of our body and our being, this deep sense of grieving and tragedy in the world, so we can see the kingdom of God come here to earth. Amen and amen. Have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.